Welcome to the Better Question Podcast, where we wrestle with hard questions and seek to ask better ones. My name is Matt. I'm so glad you're listening, and I am joined today by my good friend, my brother-in-law, athletic director at Friends University, Dr. Rob Ramsire. Glad you're here, Rob. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Um, I asked Rob to come and join me. Rob is one of my favorite people to talk to. We always have stimulating conversations. And we've been getting a lot of questions uh, surrounding leadership and some really tricky, um, some challenging, complex questions that I thought Rob would be the perfect guy to answer. So Rob, without further ado, I'm going to throw some questions your way. Let's do it. All right. Um, Rob, we had a recently with uh, our young adults had a deep dive, had a guest speaker. And one of the questions that we didn't get to answering at the end was this question, which I think is a, an interesting one. Um, do you have any tips for a believer who is underneath a very non-Christian leader? You know, I, I don't know if I... I think the better question potentially to ask to try to market your podcast well um, is I don't think it matters if it's a non-Christian, if it's a bad boss. I think how you manage and treat people that treat you poorly um, and a lot of time to find you as a leader or as a person, um, as a Christian. I don't think it matters whether it's a Christian or non-Christian, except for if it's a, if it's a professed believer, mm. you might have an easier end to talk about poor behavior. Um, does that make sense? What do you think? No, I'm I'm actually that was the first thing that came to my mind. It's like I would love to say that all Christian leaders are Christ-like, but <laughs> oftentimes that label alone doesn't mean that the person who's going to be leading an organization or leading just in a supervisor role. Um, means that they're going to lead with character or uh, at least that's my experience. And and I think that certainly living to the ideal of what it means to be Christ-like and to be a servant leader, to serve others, to put others' needs before your own, to um, speak the truth with with love and have uh, just an honest relationship with people is super great. But that ideal isn't always lived into. yeah, I think for the person asking the question, like, let's reframe it a little bit. If if you're a leader, if you're underneath someone who, and maybe you've had experience with this, maybe you haven't, um, but if there's someone above you who just lacks character, lacks, um, makes you feel bad about coming to work or whatever, like, what would you tell that person in that situation? You know, I've never, I've been pretty fortunate of mm. having good bosses. Yeah. Um and I try to be one myself, but I'm sure there's people out there that didn't think I did a very good job. Right. And, um, you know, you, you, I think it's whether they're above you, below you, try to love them and care for them and operate with integrity. And as parted as it is, how they act, how they treat you, whether they're truthful or not, shouldn't change how you treat them. Mm. And how you walk with them, how you love them, show them grace. There is obviously some extreme examples where that's not the case, and that's right. what an HR office is for. Yeah. Um, but but in terms of human de- basic human decency, um, yeah, I don't know if it changes, but there's some interesting research out there. I don't know too well. I'm a few years out of being in school. Um, but followership, it, it, it was mm. in the last 10 years in the study of leadership, Um this stuff about followership has come out and how you, how do you be a good follower? And um, there, I think some of those concepts, there's the managing up and how do you, how do you work with your boss and how do you, um, how do you get them to know your worlds and really how do you find commonalities of working together for fruition and what you just betterment of the organization, the person, whatever. Right. right. That's really good. And I think that yeah, this is a, maybe another thought too. It's like if you're in a position where your supervisor or whatever is cruel and not good to work with, like you don't have to work there. Uh, and like, yeah, here's a what was the article in Atlantic came out like quitting is the new trend. Yeah, like, but like there's a time where like you know what 
changing vocation is, or even just finding a new job is, is sometimes the move. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to subject yourself to a work environment for a prolonged period of time when you're going to be miserable. Yeah. And that's hard too, because th there are hard times in every job. Yep. And I joke with my wife, but bosses are people too. And sometimes yeah. we don't see them as that. Mm -hmm. And those folks are under tremendous pressure. And often we act out. We just don't understand what the other person's going through. Yeah. And we can be pretty judgmental of expecting our bosses to be Jesus. Mm. And when they fall short of that, um, sometimes people just lose their lose their minds. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. But you know, at the end of the day, yeah, there are other, there are other jobs up there. And yeah. if it's just a banging your head against a wall, you know. And I think for me, I mean, the saying we use all the time is, "We want to dance with the ones that want to dance with us." And if you right. want to go somewhere else, no hard feelings, you know. And yeah, um, I think there's definitely a piece of that. Wait, say that again. You want to dance? Dance with the ones that want to dance with us. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's podcast gold right there. <laughs> that'll dance be the name with of... the ones who want to dance with us. Yeah, I like that. That'll, that'll be the name of my podcast. There you go. Yeah. Um, that's good. Good thoughts there. Okay. Changing gears. And I think this is a good one for you. Um, just knowing a little bit of your journey and trajectory. Um, if Christian leadership is about being a servant having a being a servant leader should i not care about getting a promotion how do you balance work related ambition and christian humility that's a that's a great question yeah um the things that come to mind actually i'll start with a story i was going okay. through a kind of searching time a while back um in my own career and I had people suggesting a role to me. I was trying to figure out if I need to change directions. And, and I think we had a yeah. late night conversation one night Absolutely. Um, working through that. And what I came down to is a role that didn't end up happening. Um, sounded awful to me, but enough people had brought it up. Um, I was thinking through it. And uh, a good friend of mine who actually leads a men's group I'm part of, a guy named Ben Staley, very, very wise man, mm -hmm. his, um, his take was you need to be a servant in terms of your posture and listening to the Lord. And the Lord talks to you in a lot of different ways. I'm not that guy. I've never heard God talk to me audibly or anything like that. Hmm. Uh, but his, his thing was have a posture of humility when you're listening and, and hold your career loosely. Mm. Um, because maybe God's just trying to prepare your heart, or even maybe you need to go into a role you're uncomfortable with, that yeah. this one would have been a promotion step up in the world. I'm using quotes. Nobody can see me. Right, right. Um, but maybe there's a skill set there that you can do to have a broader impact on others. So um, that was a learning lesson to me because – you know, a lot of people try to climb the ranks because it looks good. Yeah. And there's there's two things there. I'll use the term posture again, the posture of your heart of why do you want the role? Because mm -hmm. um, if you want the role as a kind of higher level organizational leader or whatever, because of the admiration you think you're going to get, you're not going to last very long. Interesting. Um, because that role is pretty lonely. You, you get yeah. a lot of criticism. Um, people never know everything you're thinking about in my opinion, when you make decisions and they're, they're pretty quick to criticize yeah. and it's hard to be is the term humility or servant or, or, or whatever it may be. Uh, it's hard to serve people when you're in it for yourself. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of, lot of gold there. Um, good. I felt like I rambled. No, no, no. It was, it was really good. I'm like chewing on it there. So J.R. Briggs defines leadership as someone who uh, builds trust bears burdens and brings hope, which I love uh, the alliteration, but also um, the, the second one bears burdens is, is kind of what I hear in that too. Like when you're in that position, you know, things that others don't know, you have to make decisions that others aren't going to like. And oftentimes it just kind of falls on you. I have a buddy of mine right now who's having to let people go mm -hmm. and it's such a hard thing to carry that because what's actually going to like in that situation that he's in, he's in a, a tough leadership predicament because 
He's got a staff that's probably a little fat, a little too big. Mm-hmm. And the two people who he's going to be letting go um, aren't living up to the standards. And just about everyone else on staff knows that. And so it's actually going to improve staff morale in some ways, while it's also going to raise a bunch of questions for people. Um, and I think at the end of the day, like part of the the loneliness is just having to make hard decisions and living with the perceptions and consequences because in those positions in leadership you're not going to be liked and adored by every person and there are going to be seasons where people will just inherently not they'll hate your decision yeah and it's and even uh, this has been my experience even if somebody deserves it right somebody acts poorly gets fired whatever that's still a person that's Mm. still somebody with a family yep and that's that, there's a lot of gravity responsibility right. there. Um, that's very real. Doesn't mean yeah. you don't make that decision, but but it, but it's very challenging. And I I think it, how you approach that, how you think about it. Um, my parents made me memorize uh, Micah six eight growing up, nice. or, and we did it in Boy Scouts at Eastminster too. We had to yeah, memorize yeah. that verse of acting justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And how how do you go through those times? where you're doing that well and leaning on the Lord. Cause often there's not a lot of people to, to lean on through that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other piece. And, and actually, and we talk about, so I think the, the verse that we would lean into too, when you're talking about servant leadership is Philippians two, um, this idea that Christ poured himself out. Um, it's imitating Christ's humility. He made himself nothing. Yeah. And that like, in, in a sense, like by carrying the burdens of hard decisions and like even just feeling that the weight of that, I think it is a, an act of humility in a, in a kind of a backwards way. And that's, that's the weird thing is in so much leadership talk and culture in the West, it's all about upward mobility. It's all about moving up. And like, there's even like people will say things like if you're at your job for more than two years and you haven't gotten promoted, you're not doing something right. Like you need to be moving up the ladder and, and making, making moves Whereas often you see modeled by Jesus almost a path of humility and descent. Mm. And it's just a different way of operating in the world. Um, I, th- we're all so different. Like, what are you on the Enneagram again? Oh, I was just thinking about this. Yeah. You, you check this out. I have stressed out about the Enneagram my whole life because I can <laughs> never get an accurate read. I think I found out my type today. So I was reading this book on narcissism, uh, When Narcissism Comes to Church by Chuck DeGroat, and he has a chapter on the nine faces of narcissism, and I'm reading them, and like, am I a narcissist? Okay, probably not. That's good. Uh, but when I got to uh, the Enneagram part, I was like, what? I really need to figure out like my number. So I took a test, and I've always scored a seven or an eight. I think you're a nine. You think I'm a nine? Well, I got a 98% on a three. Really? Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. But here's what I read. Okay. Threes, core weakness. Prone, or sorry, believing that they are only as good as the image they present to the world. And I would argue that oftentimes people's perception of me, of my reputation, of what people think. Like, I care about that probably more than I let on. And sometimes, but every every person does. Every person yeah. does. They're lying, I think, if they say otherwise. You're right, but I do think that like the re- like part of the the thing behind the enneagram is it's your core motivations, yeah. and if you don't reckon with your shadow self, like uh-huh. the dark side of your leadership, that's what can lead to um, all kinds of problems down the road. And I do wonder if that does help me paint a picture, or I could just be really confused and need to take the <laughs> test a thousand times. Well, you know what's funny is I always thought I was a three, mm. and um, I tested out pretty close three and one. And uh, during COVID, me and me and Charlie, Charlie's my wife. Yeah. For you listeners, we used to take off for um, for an afternoon, just us, and go to the golf course. And she was just reading Enneagram books and mm-hmm. geeking out. And she was like, "You're a one." And then she read it all, kind of read some examples. That's absolutely right. And I'm getting back to the to the ambition piece talking yeah, yeah. about. And that's something I've had to, I have a, one of my, I don't know if this is technically biblically correct, but one of my 
idols in life has been my ethics. And mm. I guard those pretty closely. And if I screw up, it really messes me up. If I'm not perfect, I've really had to grapple with being okay with my own humanity. Yeah. And I, I have that achiever piece, which I think is more of a three in it. The achiever is the three, yeah. Getting things done and, and just progressing. Right. And I have a tendency to get bored. And really my motivations for doing the different roles I've had, I've had to grapple with. Am I seeking position or am I seeking... Like I work at Friends University here. Yep. I believe deeply in Christian private higher education. And mm. am I pursuing that role? And I think I am because of the potential of impact of the mission of the university and how I can be part of that, as opposed to trying to get a title that people think is impressive. Interesting. And I think those things go pretty, if it's the latter, um, success is often hard to come by and it will never be enough. You know, the right. ambition piece but I think to the question of ambition, humility, Christian context, the term vocation comes to mind mm. of how do we, how do you get in a place where we've been given these gifts from God to do those well? Yeah. And for everybody, that's probably a little bit different. Some people should never want to climb up the ladder because they either don't have the temperament, don't have the skill set, and right. they can be a lot better doing other things. And um, I think that the motivation turns into Here's who I am. Here's how God created me. How do I hone those skills well? And I don't think there's not, there's nothing wrong of, okay, I'm getting pretty good at this. Right. I do have the ambition to do this because I think I can broaden the influence because of the gifts that have been given to me. And I think there's a, there's a gratefulness there as opposed to the pounding of my chest. Yeah, and I think the key word in the, in the Greek, uh, when you read that Philippians 2, is when it talks about ambition, it's, selfish ambition, vain conceit. These these qualifiers are super important because Jesus was ambitious. That dude, (laughs) I mean, caused waves everywhere he went and he was relentless. Um, And I think ambition in and of itself is a a good thing when it's sanctified and it's, you know, Mm. um, not self-serving. And that's the biggest thing about um, the narcissism I keep coming back to that because I'm reading it right now, but it's it's everything is self-serving. Every relationship, every person you put in position seeks to serve your mm-hmm. end goal and whatever. And so I think that's the like thing that yeah we need to reckon with is our what what are our ambition? Where does our ambition come from? And is it just self-serving? And I think there's a piece, and yeah, the theological police may disagree with me on this one. Yeah. Um, but there is a piece of selfishness in all of us, and yeah. we're going to battle those feelings. And I think that's something you moderate, you recognize. Yep. And I don't know. What do you think as a pastor? Probably that's okay a little bit. Just I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. Like all of us have um, wrestle with with we're wrestling with selfishness. We're wrestling with wanting to meet our own needs before anything else. I mean, that's just a part of being human. And so that's going to always be a wrestling. But I do think the the thing we want to attain for or strive strive for is um, to be selfless, to be looking out, yeah. to be, you know, the best leaders in my life are the ones that I know care yeah. about me. Like I'll go, I'll go to bat. I'll do whatever I need to do to accomplish the mission. If I know that person genuinely like cares for me and is, um, that makes all the difference in the world. Whereas if I can sniff like someone is is trying to use or manipulate, like all of a sudden my triggers go off, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not interested in what what you have to offer or say. Or yeah, I it's amazing. I immediately have people come to mind when you talk about it. Like yeah, and, and it's sad. I think of like some pastors or some oh, evangelical yeah. types that let me tell you how many souls I saved this week. Right, and then when you dig into their lives, it's manipulative. It's scary, but it what, was. What? It's interesting that pastors are at the top of the list of people being prone to narcissism, which is part of what, why he why DeGroote wrote the book. Um, but I get it. I mean, here's an interesting one. So, I mean, I bet it was 15, 20 years now. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a there was a book written called Good to Great. Yeah, ever read it? Oh yeah. But this guy, I'll screw it up. But he dug in. He's a Stanford professor. He dug mm-hmm. into 
what made good companies great and what made good companies stay good companies. Yep. And you define that by return on the stock market and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the companies that sustained greatness over time, one of the things he found um, was what he called level five leadership. Yep. So it wasn't this out there in front, charismatic CEO of these companies very often. Um, he, he described them with two, two adjectives. He said these guys had a paradoxical... Um, I don't know if personality is the right word, but they had a high level of humility yep. and a high level of professional willpower. Mm. So they were courageous and they, they, they were very humble. And I, I think that humbleness, the humility being grateful and understanding it's probably not about them yeah. and the, the complexity of the world right. um, that a lot's out of our control at times, even I think these guys would say, but um, yeah, it goes back to, I just pulled up that Philippians chapter on my phone looking at it of yeah do nothing out of selfish ambition rather than humility value others above yourself yeah. not looking for, out for your own efforts but each each of you to the interests of others and um i think that humility professional willpower i think that all probably goes together when, yeah. you, when you really think about it because that perspective gives you courage yeah absolutely um all right, I'm going to go a little vulnerable here, personal. All right. In your leadership style, Enneagram 1, um, and just kind of the ways you lead, if you had to say what is like the dark side of your leadership or like in, in times where you've been unhealthy, like what, what are the things that creep in for you where like, oh, that's, that's not me at my best self or um, – Oh, that's a really personal question. No. <laughs> well, the other part of the Enneagram one is we're very self-critical. So I think yeah. I tend things immediately. There you go. Um, and I think I'm the same way in my personal relationships, quite yep. frankly. It's stuff like me and Charlie have worked hard on and we recognize mm -hmm. when I get here, how do I do it? But I get I get very critical of others. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm not a micromanager. I'll go that direction when I get in a bad place. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be resentful of not getting recognition. Yeah. And when I'm in a good place, I could I could care less. Mm. Um, I'd rather not be on stage getting an award. I'd rather somebody else do it. But in my bad place, I'm like, yeah, that gummit, give me the credit I deserve. You know, interesting. Um, so those are the things that that kind of come to mind. Yeah. No, I I was I was just wrestling with that myself because I was I'm listening to this this audio book and I'm thinking, okay, I need to really reckon with these questions. And I think for me. I, I fall into the comparison trap all the time. I'm comparing my success versus someone else's or am I, and, and I do it privately. It's not something that I'm like doing to other people, but it's, it's like in my soul, I can see sometimes that creep in of like, I remember early on in my ministry, I, <laughs> I was leading worship um on we were in, meeting in a gym so like we would set up all our worship stuff i was the lead guitar and singer and we were playing you know just loud worship music and we had a full gym the place was packed and i remember just being like i feel like i am bono right now like, i felt <laughs> awesome and i remember the first few weeks like leaving the stage and people would come up to me and tell me how awesome it was. And we're so grateful for your service. And your, your band sounds amazing. And I'm just like taking it in, taking it kind of just like, thanks, thanks, all glory to God, you know, trying to deflect the glory. But then I remember like over time, people stopped coming up to me. And it's nothing changed on my part. But like the longer you're somewhere, people just sort of get used to you and you no longer get the same recognition. And there's this part of me that's like, it's like I'm like walking around looking for people to like come up to me. I'm like, well, that's that's not good. That's not healthy. Um, and so, like I would say, since then, my my spiritual maturity has grown. My confidence in myself, my insecurity has lessened, and I've found that as a healthier leader, I'm no longer combing the hallways, telling you know, looking for people to tell me I had a great sermon. But there is that part of me that creeps in. Um, that wants the recognition. And that's, that's where I'm like wrestling with maybe I am a three. Um, but again, I, I, I want you to know, I always love your sermons. Like they're very you. good. Thank you, Rob. Um, there's, it, there's an interesting, I, cause I've grappled with this. I mean, similar mm -hmm. stuff and I, a healthy practice for me mm. when I feel myself going into that space a little bit, 
I start writing thinking notes to people because there's a level of gratefulness to, Ooh. and it gets you, it gets me at least outside myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. we had a, we had a coach interview a few years back that we ended up hiring and we had asked some question of like, how do you deal with issues? And he had an answer that the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was just profound. He goes, we'll tolerate about anything. We'll walk with kids. You know, they're, they're going to screw up other than a lack of gratefulness. Mm. They will, we will not tolerate that. Interesting. And um, I never use the term posture and I keep using this thing, but there, there's a posture of your heart when you're, when you're grateful and yeah. you're intentionally working at being grateful and appreciative of others where it's hard to go to that for me, all right. my dark sides, you know, all right. my, when I'm in a bad place, this is where I go. Yeah. And That's I think good. about it a lot in the work context. I should probably think it more in my marriage too. And, right. and how no, I it father, because it's, it's the same over. thing. Yeah. It carries over for sure. That's good. All right. We have another question, which is kind of a loaded question. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and ask this one and we'll kind of just see where it takes us because it's a little bit of a different direction, but I think it captures some of the same idea. So, okay. uh, oh, and by the way, this question was asked by Ben from Kansas. Yeah, he he says, he says, I did not need to be anonymous. So, hey, Ben, <laughs> good to hear from you. We know which Ben. I know a lot of Bens. There are a lot of Bens. I won't say his last name just because I don't know if he wants me to say okay, it. Okay, fair enough. It seems like a lot of Christian leaders have these moral failings a la Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which if you're not familiar with this, it's a podcast that went viral, really, and uh, was one of those popular Christian podcasts about um, a character named Mark Driscoll who led a church and eventually the church's downfall. So there's a plug to that podcast if you haven't listened to it. Anyway, let me read that again. It seems like a lot of Christian leaders have these moral failings a la Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. As a Christian, what are we to do with all the good they brought in the world? Or is it all tainted? Should they be canceled? Should we forgive? That's a lot to unpack. I'll let you start. Yeah. Um, I would begin by saying this is not a new phenomenon. It may feel that way because we're living in the, the, the age of social media. We're also living on the uh, post Me Too movement side of things where a lot of stuff is being revealed that was probably already there. Um, and so when you're seeing a lot of these pastors have moral failures or have lack of integrity or whatever it might be, um, this is not a new thing. Um, this is this is the reality of the fact that even though one might carry the label Christian or pastor, um, that does not necessarily mean that they're living out their faith and um, their private life. And sadly, um, I, I I don't know that because I think about um, the example of Mars Hill is a good one with Mark Driscoll. You're not familiar. I don't know that Mark, he maybe he was from the very beginning this corrupted narcissist who got into ministry for the purpose of grifting or whatever. But I actually think that this stuff happens on a spectrum, okay? And I think it happens over what is, time. What does grifting mean? Grifting means like being opportunist. So oh, like okay. he looked okay. at this like, hey, I can make a bunch of money. I could build this huge following. Like I... It's possible, but that was his intentions. Yeah, but, yeah. But I think that there's some pure motivations. I believe that he felt called by God. I, I believe that for a lot of leaders, they don't go into positions looking necessarily to become corrupted by it. I think yeah. that can happen over time when we're not careful and walking in the spirit and, and repenting. Um, and so these things no longer surprise me. They make me sad. Mm -hmm. They don't surprise me. Um, and I think it's one, It's just a reminder for us again and again to be careful when we put our hope and faith in a charismatic leader as opposed to our faith in Christ. When we put our um, sort of our identity in a certain preacher, a certain Christian leader, um, those leaders who are looking for you to do that, those are the ones who give me some of the red flags. Yeah. There and was then, a, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, I'll just say, yeah, no, because I was going to go to the other part of the question. So, well, there's a, so I, I think you turned me on to that podcast. Yeah. And, um, it was, I thought it was a fascinating study just in leadership. Yep. And they said something about halfway through that I thought was profound of when your position outpaces your character and maturity, I think they said, mm-hmm. or at least character, um, disasters on the way, essentially. Yeah. And I think we're prone to do that across society. I think it happens faster now, given social media, you can blow up overnight. Yeah. And it's very noticeable in the Christian church because there's an expectation of love, morality, and ethics. And when that's violated, um, we're very quick to point that out and go after people. Right. Um, but like a la Mars Hill, I remember reading the Hillsong guy too, that was yep. similar. I yep. uh, watched a documentary that mm-hmm. was just wild. Um, but I think in those positions, these charismatic guys, their positions outpaced their character yep. or their preparedness and for my for me at this stage of my career i love feedback i yeah. value that i want people to argue yeah. with me all that kind of stuff in my late 20s early 30s that scared me yeah so i think there's a tendency of these guys to surround themselves with people that tell them they're good and they're great yeah. and that that crowd of after you get done playing your song that you're yeah. talking about never stops and all right. of a sudden you think you're infallible and it's right. the context the environment you you put us in and i also have a theory this isn't leadership really but yeah. we went through and i did too i think in my young adult years there was really this anti-denominationalism mm. it's we're gonna denominations are screwing everything out yeah, yeah they're yeah, corrupt yeah. Yada, yada, yada. yeah and so we did all these mark driscoll type the acts 29 right. thing all that kind of stuff but you know what people are sinful their organizations are going to be messed up yeah. but at least like in our church i I'm trained to be an elder list right now. Yep. So we talked about the courts and all that. I yep. thought it was weird. I didn't know that stuff existed. But there are processes in place yep. to deal with things when people step out of line and oh, we're all human and that's going to happen. Yep. And again, that's not a denominational world. It's no whole bar. Just do whatever. Yeah. And um, I was there. I got it. I was kind of the anti-denomination guy for a while. But I also think it set up the Driscolls a little bit. Yeah, you're dead on. And I that's part of like being Presbyterian. Like We love you know our... our total depravity theology is a, a big part of why we have such a robust accountability structure. And it, that is a, I think a really beautiful part that I've grown to appreciate that at first I thought was just like way over the top, like mm-hmm. so cumbersome and way too many councils and committees. And, <laughs> but like the upside is something like what happened at that church could not happen no. in our context. There's too much accountability, and I think that that's a – you're right. You're dead on. The, the common denominator in all of these scenarios is that the people closest to the person at the top were people serving that person's agenda. And yes, men, if you want to call it. when you that, get you told you're never wrong and you're perfect all the time, of course yeah. you're going to eventually think that. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing. It's – one of the definitions of narcissism is that you're literally living your living your life as your false self. And what can happen, there's a, a friend of mine told me a story about a leader who said to him, he's going through some tough stuff and made some mistakes. And he said to him, one of the hardest parts about being in my role is I can't be honest with anyone close to me because it's so jarring for them when they find out I'm not perfect. So they feel the pressure and the loneliness of feeling like they need to internalize all of their failures because there are, there's a fear of if I'm vulnerable and I tell people about my mistakes and my failings, then it's going to rock their world and then whatever pedestal they have me on, it's going to fall. And so like you just kind of live into this perception that everybody has of you that you're, you know. And it's so stupid because anybody, when I learn their imperfections, yeah. I like them more. Right. So I'm like, hey, me too. Yes. There's <laughs> okay. something so profound uh, about I recommend anybody read Pete Scazzaro's book on emotionally healthy leadership. He has a whole chapter on the power of vulnerability and what that can do when, you, when you're vulnerable with people who are, are underneath your care yeah. and just how that can transform organizations. And um, It's yeah, on the Mars Hill thing, too. I think there's a distinction. Mm-hmm. So my last – I met friends now. I was at Heston College before midnight school. And um, – 
and we did a service of lament. Mm. And I, I think I'm getting somewhere here that it connects or else we can just yeah. delete off the podcast. And I felt convicted. So I agree with a lot of the Anabaptist tenets. Yep. Um, and in that context, the term evangelical wasn't a great thing mm. because it was seen through the political sphere. Right. And I do think we're hypersensitive to Christian evangelical leaders falling. Mm. Um because I think that circle's broadened off a lot. I th- yeah. There's a lot of people that are claiming evangelical politically that are not a follower of Christ, yet right. they get lumped into all this kind of stuff. Right. And um, Christian, non-Christian, pick your religion, where there, there's corruption yep. that goes on. So I think there's a little piece of the term evangelical has been hijacked politically. Yeah. Um, oh, I know. And I, so we feel it's happened all over the place where, right. yeah. No, you're dead on there too. Um so here, here's the other piece to this. When a leader falls and has a moral failure, where I think it, oftentimes when it comes to um, church leadership, it's a little more sensitive because you're expected to live to a certain moral standard. Mm-hmm. But even in the secular workplace. That's why it's so jarring. It is. But even in the secular workplace, like who was it? The Boston Celtics head coach yeah. uh, was fired for – having an affair, like, like these kinds of things. And obviously it was more than that. It was, it was all kinds of stuff at play there, but um, what is the response? <laughs> they use the word canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, is there forgiveness? What, what does that look like? And, and maybe the example is your favorite preacher, author, written tens of thousands of tens of books, whatever, great writer, great speaker. You find out that he made some horrible mistakes, had an affair with his wife, stole some money, whatever. How do you then treat that person's work, that person, the good maybe that they did in the world? Uh, there's that podcast episode in the Marcel that's like, they paint the beauty we split, that, that theme song, this idea that in the midst of all the brokenness that there's beauty. Yeah. How do we process that as a, as a Christian? <laughs> I, I can't think of the verse, but there's some scripture that talks about, essentially says people that claim to be Christians but, are, but aren't followers of Christ can lead others to Christ. Am I right? Yeah. I, I can't remember where it's at. Mm-hmm. I, view, I view it in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, just because there were major moral failings doesn't mean everything the person ever wrote yep. is bad. Yeah. And... Um, it's just fascinating because there's an expectation of that, but I don't know how broad it is. I think we get swallowed in the social media world where yeah. people are really calling out, and that's scary. Yep. And you don't want to be the one that gets called out, so you're like, I'm going to avoid that person too. Mm-hmm. But I think most people feel the same. Of Maybe they can't yeah. be in that role anymore. Right. But yeah. you go do something stupid. Yep. As long as my wife lets me, I'll probably still go out to lunch with you or play meet you at golf, you know, because you're still a human. I care about you. I love you. And the nature of the work context may change or the ministry, but it doesn't mean you're unredeemable. It's a a tough one because there's some awful things that happen, but what are we supposed to do? Put those. It's a question of how long. And again, it's funny because so often the internet is the judge, jury, and executioner on these things. Yeah. And it's like, that's not a good way to, to make these yeah. <laughs> types of judgments. But like, I even think of pastor, for example, like there is, there should be legitimate removal from ministry. Yeah. Maybe forever. And I think that's where we get it wrong sometimes, mm-hmm. where it's these guys will get called out, they'll get fired, um, they'll disappear for, for a month or a year, and, and then they're, they're planting back. a church. Yeah. And to me, my thing is like, it, it takes m- much longer than a year. Like, I don't know what the number is. I think it doesn't matter. Like, I think you may be disqualified for ministry. You can do other things. Yeah. You can be a Christian and live in society and work at a bookstore or whatever your next vocation might be. But I do think that there are certain things, because people will sometimes say, well, you know, no one's, uh, you know, we need to forgive and restore. And I think there are certain people who make mistakes. Like I may someday make a mistake and hopefully will be restored into ministry. If God forbid, hopefully that I can avoid that. But like, 
at the end of the day, I do think there are some lines you cross where it's it's time to find a different job because the the weight of carrying the name of Christ and then completely destroying that is so devastating yeah that I just don't know if you can forgive someone and then not let them put them in a position to hurt other people yeah it there's a distinction between at least in my mind between accountability which is what you're yeah. talking about and I totally agree with everything you just said in invalidating that person's humanity. Mm. And I think that gets hard because often um, that the person's actions who needs to be accountable invalidate somebody else's humanity. Right. But do you do that in return? Right. Here's a story that came out. It's not ministry. A friend of mine um, had a big family gathering and the year before, um, one of the kind of extended family members, the husband had an affair, mm. left the wife, whatever, and then came back and she took him back. And he said, he's walking the backyard of this family barbecue and everybody's sitting down and the uncle was sitting at a table by himself, like on the other end of the lawn mm. and everybody else was ignoring him. Yeah. And this person went and sat with him because we said, we're accepting him back. He screwed up, but we're not going to do the public. I'm not going to do the shunning thing. Right. Is that the right thing to do? I don't know. I mean, the person refused yeah. to cancel them, but what's the accountability? What's our responsibility as a community in that right. sense? Right. Like, could a pastor, say a pastor gets fired, yep. you get fired for doing something just incredibly stupid, should yep. never be in ministry again. Could you still be a member of a church? Should you mm. be allowed to do that? Should we, should you be cast off? I just yeah. I have a tough time going there, but also I've seen the hurt those people cause. Yeah, I don't know. It's not easy. No, and this is this is where church discipline comes in because there are times I think when um, a church should be a safe haven for people, and if someone is in that community, you call them a wolf in sheep's clothing, whatever. Like for the sake of others, that person might need to be removed and ostracized because it's harming other people. That being said, there is a hope that that person will find healing. And, you know, Jesus is again and again, pray for your enemies. Yeah. Pray for those who persecute you. There's hope for those who may be broken and have done harm to people, but that doesn't mean you have to keep them close necessarily. Now, in some cases, um, I do think they can be restored to their communities and, um, yeah. I don't know, it's complex. It is. But like, say, so you as a pastor. Yeah. That illustration you just used. Yeah. They can't be the body of the church. And that, all that makes sense to me. Yep. But do you have a duty as a human being or the former pastor to go have coffee with that person once a month? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I it depends know. on the relationship for yeah. sure. I think, I think that there is, um, I do think it's important to, to have the distinction that forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation and there are times where um, we can still forgive someone and not let that anger and resentment stay in our hearts but that relationship will never be the same because that was a toxic relationship for whatever reason yeah. and so the hope is always for reconciliation and i think the other dynamic is like driscoll yeah there were some actual victims that came yes. forward and what's the duty to them as opposed to the right to the offender? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, because if it was my kid that was the victim, I'm sure as heck probably not going to. No, and I think yeah. like people who were close to Driscoll, um, they can harbor bitterness the rest of their life towards them, or they can forgive him, and yet not attend his new church. Yeah, you know, yeah, like they don't have to be his friend. Um, as hard as that is, I just know that sometimes the reconciliation just isn't possible unless both parties are willing to do the hard work. Yeah. And I think in his case, he started a new church and is back at it and it's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. And I feel like the, the victims in those situations have probably have no duty Yeah, or not probably don't have the duty right. to, to re for reconciliation. That's hopefully they can get there cause it's, it's a hard, hard place in life to, yeah, to hate, uh, but sometimes I get it. I'm I pulled this out. This is a DVD of something called The Elephant Room. What's a DVD? Yeah, seriously. 
um, they a bunch of these. So when the rise of social media, we kind of had this new celebrity pastor phenomena. And while there were always celebrity pastors throughout history, you go back in time, Charles Spurgeon, Billy Graham, like historically there's celebrities mm-hmm. in the faith, if you want to call them that. But the in the time we live in now, when information is online, you could listen to podcast sermons. There was this new rise of celebrity pastors that sort of came out. This is like mid-2000s. Um, 2011, I think, is when this came, or maybe it was 2009, 2010. But when it came out, they're having all these conversations that mega church pastors are dealing with. So multi-site personality cult versus God's greater glory. It was like a debate. So they were going to talk about the elephants in the room with cool. different mega church. Good idea, right? Yeah. Uh, another example is preach to build the attendance versus preaching to build the attendees. So is it about growing people <laughs> in maturity and faith or is it about growing bigger? Um, all these are really good questions. What's interesting to me is out of these eight pastors, only three of them did not have a massive blow up moral failure. So one of them uh, was deceitful with the finances, was a domineering leader similar to Driscoll and James McDonald's church in Chicago. He's gone. Um, Perry Noble's church, he had secret addictions, was abusive towards his spouse. Mark Driscoll, we know his story. Um, Matt Chandler's currently experiencing things as well at his church. You have these mega influential pastors who all had these, these moments where they lost their position of power. Now, my question your better question. My better question is do the way we structure church in the West in a sort of a consumeristic person on the stage. And honestly, the measurement of success is how many people can we get in the building? Does that cultivate and foster a worship of God or does it cultivate a worship of the person? Because I think if you're on a stage in front of 10,000 people every week and people love to hear you, come for you, will drive hours to see you. I don't know how that doesn't cultivate narcissism or even just a culture where like you're the person worshiped. So I guess one of the questions I'm asking is like, is the way we think, the way we do church even a recipe for people getting to the place to where their their pride overtakes them? And My mind's going so many different directions I know. right now. We're reading an elder training, J.R. Briggs' book on eldership. Yeah, yeah. And um, we, Susan Lear brought up one of the lines in it this week of, you know, elders, pastors, shared leadership. And I think the term was polycentric leadership because there's just so many people involved. Right. Um, and I think it guards against some yep. of what we're talking about. So, again, back to the dominationalism no. thing. Um, protections in place to protect people. And I was also chuckling of that pastor in front of 2,000 people needs all his high school buddies to be sitting behind the stage and start ripping on him right when he comes out to keep him humble. But, it, yeah, it's really, I'm sure that there's biblical text to, to talk about a lot of this, but my mind and goes to just what's the organizational structure to protect yeah. everybody. Right. And because those guys, I mean, they saw the problem. Yep. And that's probably why they put it out there because they saw themselves going that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's awful hard to st- stop a snowball when it starts rolling down the hill and getting really big. Absolutely, and that's where, like, in one of these cases, I'll, I'll pull, since I brought it up, the last one, Matt Chandler, in his case, like, one of the things that's actually positive about his is his. He didn't. I think he'll be re- restored at his church for what what's been going on, but like they do have a accountability structure in place that said, "Hey, you need to." take a break like the patterns of behavior we're seeing they're not they even use the words like disqualifying you from ministry but that the the patterns demonstrate some unhealth and i just wonder if accountability structures that can help pastors in in big churches and in places when they get to a place where the unhealthy patterns start to be displayed like if they can have people around yeah. them be like hey you need to take a break you this is not good. We don't want to cast you out. We don't want to fire you. That's a good way to frame it because everything I've been thinking of have been these cat- catastrophic things. Right. You know, the behavior gets to a point. It's like, oh my gosh, right? How did we get here? Um, 
we need to send that person to yeah. jail or church jail, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. But how do we say, hey, dude, and know each other well enough yep. just to say, hey, I'm seeing cracks here. Yeah. And, yeah, that's a level of care that, yeah, how do you put in place? Because there is a load to carry if you're, heck, at Eastminster, how many yep. members do, how many people do we have ever said it? It's not a small place. Nope. There's a lot of burden for the leaders around here oh, to, sure. to care for everyone. And I think sometimes when people are have that burden, um, they just want to let their guard down for a while yeah. and that's a dangerous place to be. And yeah. How do we see those cracks? And it's a, it's having people around you. I think for us personally in our own, for you and for me, like having people around you who can observe the unhealth and call you on it. Yeah. And I, I always say this, I think every pastor should be in counseling because it's kind of a stigma. It's yeah. like, Oh, you're, you're, you're messed up, jacked up. You're in counseling. But I'm like, I think it, it would be do wonders um, for for people. And as, I, as I've gotten into kind of leadership positions yeah. where I'm supervising bigger areas, I've that's been incredibly valuable. The healthiest people, yeah. the healthiest leaders I know have gone to counseling, as opposed to um, sometimes it's it's just seen as like this hyper negative thing. And I I think it'd just be such a good change in culture uh, for for. Any, any leadership. I think it's also have to, helpful to have a brother-in-law to golf with once or twice hey, a month. I think that's pretty important. Speaking of that, we need to golf soon. It's Absolutely. Been too long. Got to get that uh, that handicap down for our yearly family tournament. Or up. Or up, yes. Up is, is actually the way it should go. We both <laughs> need it. Well, Rob, thanks again. This was a really great conversation. We've gone almost an hour, 52 minutes. Cool. So thanks again for coming in. We'll do this again. Um, thanks all for listening. Again, if you want to send in questions, you can send them in to betterquestions at eastminster.org or go to our website, eastminster.org slash betterquestions. Um, thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back. This episode is dropping. It is a Monday. Um, we have another guest coming next Monday. So check it out. Thanks again. Grace and peace. <laughs>